Hello and welcome to today's episode. This is From Thought to Impact, the podcast that helps you create the mindset and motivation to build your impact-driven business and change the world. Hey, what's up? My name is Jan and I'm excited to share today's interview with you. I talked to Hunter J. He's the founder and CEO of Ripe Robotics, a really cool startup that uses modern technology to automate fruit picking and therefore revolutionize um, agriculture. That's the, the bigger vision. And there are many good reasons why that's a good thing for humanity. And it's also interesting that This is one of those businesses that couldn't have existed 20 years ago because the technology wasn't there. And yeah, I, I love businesses like that, that use cutting edge technology to solve problems that we couldn't solve previously. And um, yeah, I'm also excited to share his Hunter's um, perspectives on things um, because he has a very unique way of thinking about life purpose and even his story why he got into um, starting this startup is really interesting so i think there's a lot to learn from his way of looking at things and yeah i hope you enjoy the interview so without further ado let's get to it welcome hunter um, maybe you can give a quick introduction um into your company, Ripe Robotics, what it is, what you do, and how you started it. Uh, sure. Great to be here, uh, Jan. Thanks for having me. Um, at Ripe Robotics, we're trying to automate uh, agriculture, really. Uh, where we build uh, and operate ro robots that, um, that, that, that pick fruit autonomously. So it's like basically for all of history and up to now, people have been manually picking fruit off trees, apples, oranges, uh, plums, uh, apricots, by climbing up ladders and, and picking it off the tree one at a time. And computer vision and robotics has finally gotten to the point where it's possible to, to fully automate this. Uh, so our company over the last two years has been developing the, the machinery to do that. And now we are in the early stages of commercializing this uh, equipment to try, and, or, uh, to try and automate harvesting of fruit. Um, mm -hmm. and we're trying to do it in a general purpose way so that over the, the five years from now to sort of 2026, uh, we'll have many more tasks on orchards automated and be able to use data gathered in one task to, to better optimize harvests uh, and yields and, and uh, minimize the disease without uh, the, the spraying or without too much human effort. Yeah. Cool. And could you speak a little bit uh, about your motivation behind... Um starting a company that uses AI? Hmm. Um, so I, it seems clear to, to me that AI is by far the, the going to be the largest impact technology over the next 10 or, or 20 years, or really if it goes really, really big over the next billion years, um, not any specific AI we have today, but rather the idea of getting computers to do things that previously required human intelligence. Um, will basically be automating people out of every kind of, uh, of work and every kind of task uh, and almost competing with, with AIs for control of the world's resources. Uh, and we want to make sure that, that they have the same values as us going forward. Um, so I think it's uh, very important to both be involved in, the, in, in creating that future, 
but also to, to make sure it's done in a way that is safe uh, so that AIs have the same goal as us so that they're aligned with the human interests. Um, and that's more than just wanting AI to, to, to go well. It's a, there's a, a serious technical problem along AI alignment um, for uh, which becomes increasingly important as the technology gets more powerful. Um, so the idea behind creating a company is uh, both to work on AI and be involved in it, uh, but also to, mm-hmm. to dedicate some resources to solving that technical alignment problem. Are there any other um, main challenges that you see going into the future of, you know, just when you think about humanity and the development of our species and the planet, what are mm. your thoughts on, on that? For humanity as a whole, what the biggest problems are? Yeah. Um, well, I think the biggest one is, is AI alignment. That's tricky because we don't know when it will become a big problem. Um, and by the time it's obvious that it's a problem, it will probably be too late to, to solve it, especially if, the, if it turns out that it's technically difficult to solve, like it requires lots of time uh, uh, and effort to, to solve, which it, it seems to. Uh, second to that, to having AI do, do something that we don't want it to do uh, and out-competing us and us not being able to, to, to stop it. Second to that is probably nuclear uh, war. Like that, everyone forgets about that, but that could still like kill everybody or kill most of the population, like at any time. And there's not a lot of um, uh, concern about that anymore. Like people don't really talk about it. But yeah, that's a that's still a big risk. Um, once we have super intelligent AI, it won't be a risk anymore because uh, the AI will be able to, to to solve all those risks. But up to that point, it's probably the most likely thing that will that will kill everybody. Um, mm-hmm. Well, there's other risks like bioengineering and um, uh, disease and, and things like that. Um, nanotechnology, what's your, but not super risky, not super likely in the short term. Sorry. What's your um, perspective on whole like, climate change and global warming? I think if, if we stayed at the current level of technology or roughly thereabouts, if things continued as, as they continued, uh, It would, it would be a big problem. I think it's somewhat unlikely that we won't have uh, an, another technology like super intelligent AI uh, or even just continued human improvement of, of things like carbon capture or uh, alternative mm-hmm. sources of energy um, for it to be a problem for, for us. Like it's a concern. It's like if things continue the way they're going, we'd be in big trouble. But my prediction is that things won't continue the way the way they're going. We'll have, uh, I think it's likely in 20 years, AI will either kill everybody or solve literally every problem, including climate change. Okay. Yeah. Well, like so likely kind of... meaning 50%. I don't think it's probable. But yeah. yeah. Um, so your concern and, and motivation to contribute to the um, potential big danger of um, AI that is not aligned and that could turn against humanity. Um, so you're using this business to, to be involved, to also create um, resources that you could channel into that whole field. Uh, what is your, oh, how did you make the decision to go through a business and not through maybe research, universities, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. 
Uh, the thinking there was that if, like, if you get a job directly working on AI alignment as a researcher, you're not increasing the total output of of uh, work in the area. You're only increasing it by the marginal, like, how good you are versus how good the person who would have got that job if you didn't take that job is. Um, so they choose the best person available. If you if you got the job, you're probably the best person at it. But you might only be 5% or 10% or 50% more effective than the other person who would have got it if you hadn't gone that job. And since there's only really, like in the whole world, there's like less than 100 people working on the problem, it seems like the 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 thing to do is to get more resources assigned to it rather than mm. uh, work directly on it, uh, especially since okay. I'm not some a super genius will be able to solve it. My, my, uh, there, there are lots of smarter people than me that are working on areas that I think are less important and maybe we could entice them to work on this area with uh, mm-hmm. both more money and more, mm-hmm. more status from working on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then oh. a company makes sense in that spot. Like, I'm pretty good at taking... Like, the, the, my particular set of skills works very well for, for, for running a company. Um, and there's, cool, yeah. yeah. Could, you, could you speak a little bit about that? What is your... Like, what are the skills that are important or even essential, necessary to run a company, to build a business? Um, yeah, what do you think about being an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, probably the biggest one is, it's going to sound bad how I sort of phrase it, but a, a, a distrust of authority or even a disdain for authority. Which has worked well up to this point. It might become more of a more of a problem uh, as as it gets as we get a larger and larger company. Um, but it seems like people do things based off what other people think is easy or hard or the normal thing to do. Um, like I know other people that, that care about AI alignment, and their way of doing it is just to work at their normal sort of job and donate sort of ten percent of their resources to it. That would be great mm. if everyone did it, but. At the end of the day, they're putting a, a, like a considerable amount of money, like I don't know, ten grand or twenty grand per year, which is great. Um, but it's it's not enough to to meaningfully change the 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 way that the world is is moving. You have to take huge risks for that. So you have to have, I guess, an, a really strong appetite for for risk, um, and not mind take like take, like we like I live I live in a hut on a on a farm and I took massive credit card debt to get this company going originally and now it's going well this like that paid off but mm-hmm. lots of people don't take risks like that uh, and if it had failed I would have been in a terrible situation which I was after the first company failed um but uh and then also trust like we've spoke with some uh some researchers at a at, at a uni when we when we're looking at the problem to start with and they said, "Oh, we didn't go into sort of fruit picking because it's too hard of a too hard of a problem. We're going into these other areas mm. for, for robotics." Um, and we sort of looked at the problem. It's like, okay, you have to find the fruit on the tree, and you have to move an arm to to pick the fruit. It doesn't seem like that hard of a problem. I think we should just give it a go, regardless of what these experts said about it. Um, and it was really hard. Like we probably uh, could have chosen an easier problem and had an even faster success as a company, but it wasn't as hard as they thought. You know. It's plausible with 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 the technology that was available then and what we've developed since then. Yeah, mm-hmm. experts suck most um, of the time. They're right, I, but when they're not, they miss big big uh, big things. Yeah, nine out of ten times starting the, this company. Um, 
sorry. The, the question around um, life purpose. So is, is, I mean, obviously this is a very important topic to you and um, you dedicated your, your business, your, your career to it. Would you, what is your beliefs around life purpose? Is this a, an, a label that you use, a term that you use? What do you think about um, it? Yeah, I guess so. It's like people seem to think, and I used to think like this as well, like what, what do I want to be or, or what do I want to do? You know, what, what career would I be happy in? And I think those are the wrong questions. Uh, uh, like they, they work great. You know, if you, you'd have a great happy life and people would be happy with you, that, that's fine. Um, but the, the, like, I think the real question is what do you want the world to look like in five years or 10 years or a hundred years or a thousand years? And then mm -hmm. what, what actions should you be taking today to put the world into that state on those timeframes? Um, and you get completely different answers. Uh, part of that is what, what are you capable of working on for, you know, 60, 70 or 80 hours a week without getting really upset and not working a lot. Um, so you have to pick something that you at least kind of enjoy. Um, but only so far as uh, actually getting the best outcome from it, you know. It's the, the goal of it isn't to make you feel good and have a happy or high status life or anything like that. The goal is only to get those things so far as they help you continue working harder, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I thought about what the world should look like in the, in the future and then took actions that I thought would maximize that and got them wrong several times and keep trying at it, <laughs> yeah. When you think about the, the future of our planet, are you kind of thinking about maybe your children or grandchildren or just about humanity as a whole and the future generations? Um, I'm not thinking specifically about my children or grandchildren. It's definitely humanity as a whole kind of thing. But it's also kind of selfish. Like, I'm not planning on dying. I'm going to be alive in the, the 10 or 50 or 1,000 years if I can help it. Um, yeah. That's the only reason why I should assume that I have to die, at least not until the end of the universe, you know? I'm going to be there. I want it to be a good yeah. place. <laughs> Cool. Okay, that's that's another maybe very interesting topic to explore. What is your um, your belief around um, maybe living in a non-human form, continue to live um, for hundreds, thousands of years? Mm. How, what what would that be for to you or for for humans? You know, when we think about our psychology, is yeah. The, what is the the, the yeah yeah it'd be it'd be pretty 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 crazy um and I, i guess when when we get into topics like this one important thing to say is that if anyone tells you a specific story about what they think the future will be like every little detail they add to that story makes it less likely not more likely it sounds like a good story and they, they add all these extra details that makes you think yeah that sounds really realistic but if they every single claim should be treated independently so if someone's like telling you a specific story, it's really unlikely. If they say extremely broad things, like I think there's probably some way of, of not dying at, at 80, then that's a lot more likely than I think this specific thing will happen when I'm 57, which will stop me from uh, dying when I'm 80. Um, mm -hmm. But that said, uh, I definitely think that it's possible for people to, to, to live a really long time. 
um, there's many different ways where, where it could happen. One is if we could somehow uh, one at a time replace uh, parts of our brain with, with, with computers. So instead of directly up, uploading your brain in all, all at once and having a copy of you, if you could just take this part of your brain out, it's still you because it's a very small part of your brain, put a computerized version of that back in, um, still you because it was only a small part of your brain that didn't really do anything important, and then repeat that a billion times until your whole brain is done, then you're on a computer. And that's great because you don't have to die then. Um, or we could do something with aging research and stop like biological aging from, from happening. You could still die from other, other causes, but that's a big one that would, that would help if you could stop biological aging. Um, there's certainly some way of doing that because some animals already do it, or at least age a lot slower than us. Um, so they can figure out what, what that's happening, what's happening there and, and change it. Or you could just make a, make a copy of yourself onto, onto a computer in some way. Uh, you could trace every single connection in your brain and then uh, somehow run it on a computer. That's plausible. You could live a long time like that. Yeah, lots of different ways. <laughs> or if you can't do any of that in your lifetime, if you could cool down your brain and store it, and then eventually someone in the future might wake you up and, and you could live then. <laughs> Unlikely, but worth trying. What is... You know, the alternative is dying. What do you think are the requirements for a happy life? How does, how does that work, happiness? Hmm... I don't know. I think that it is true that people seem to go back to whatever their default is. You know, like if you win a lottery or if you become a quadriplegic, yeah, it seems like your happiness levels aren't actually affected that much, which is very surprising. Um, so then if you're trying to make a permanent increase onto your happiness, I don't really know how to do that. I guess it would be to have things that make you happier each day, like minor things, you know, like mm -hmm. I used to have shoes that would just get wet each day and every day I put them on, it would be really annoying and upset me. And now I've got big boots that are waterproof and I can slip them on and every time I put them on, I'm like, yeah, shit, these boots are the shit. This is great. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how to make a permanent change to, to your head. Maybe if you're, you feel like what you're doing is useful. Like it's really frustrating when I was working mm -hmm. for money rather than, you know, cause I didn't have any money. I had to have a job to, to, to have spending money. And now I get to work on what I would have been doing anyway. And they're paying me for it. Like I'm only taking what I, what I need to, to live on, but I don't have to work another job. I get to do, to do this, which is, um, which is what I would have been doing even if they weren't paying me. So that, that, the big sort of changes yeah. are, are great as well, but I don't really know how to be, how to be happy. Maybe in the future we'll have some sort of brain implant or drug that will just make you just gently increase your baseline happiness. You know, not not like heroin or something which gives you a big spike, but just you know, if your baseline was here before, if baseline's here, that would be great. <laughs> What do you think about okay. that? Did you take a drug like that? Um, for me, it's a very kind of spiritual question, and I dedicate a lot my a lot of my time to explore, um, yeah, how does happiness, happiness works. Um, mm. and I, I think, yeah, like the, the reason why we are in a lot of trouble as humanity as a whole is because people think they need external things 
to make them more happy. So we consume a lot, we buy a lot of stuff, we create a lot of um, waste. Mm. And yeah, it's obviously not really working because the, the baseline is not not higher on average. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. I think there's probably something to be said about that, about uh, the social stuff being lacking. Like isolation does make people feel bad in a long-term way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. now that you mentioned you, you mentioned social thing. what is your perspective on social media and the whole you know kind of time mm. that we are living in with internet and sharing and documenting and consuming content creating content i have been a lot happier since i muted every topic that was making me angry or sad on on uh, twitter I, I muted every word that had anything to do with racism or sexism or anything, like everything bad I could think of. I just muted those words and it's become a much more pleasant place, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's some value in hearing about that so you sort of know about what's, what's going on, but probably a lot less value than you than you think. You know, hearing people's takes on Twitter is a lot yeah. less valuable than just spending one hour every year reading a, a, a summary of the scientific literature on racism or sexism or whatever it is. You get a much mm-hmm. better view of the world doing that for one hour than you would every day reading people getting angry on Twitter. Um, what, what's your yeah, what's your so, take on the news? I mean, for, for a lot of people, Twitter is some form of news, right? Do, mm-hmm. What are you thinking about news in general? Yeah, I don't know. I think news articles that tell you exactly what happened recently are tricky. Like sometimes there's useful, there's useful information in there, but I think in general, you're not going to act on anything here in the news immediately. Um, So you're probably better off reading like a a summary of it or or something every, every so often. Um, Although it's hard to, to, to find those. But then also you kind of want to know what's going on in the going on in the world, um, because things like otherwise you'd be super confused if suddenly you just say everyone's told to go into lockdown. You're like, what the hell? Why are we going into lockdown? You have to Google as well. Oh, there's a disease. Oh man, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, you got to hear a little bit about what's going on. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I was I was overdoing news before, and now I think I've got it at roughly the right level where I just hear people people send me stuff, which is really handy. Yeah. Uh, they, they know what I'm interested in and then they send it to me, which is great. I love having friends like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't really know the best way to, best way to do this. Well, there is, uh, I did hear a, a read a great article on uh, Slate Star Codex, which was covering basically the last five years of neuroscience. Because um, I'd studied okay. neuroscience back in, back in uni, like five years ago. And then they, they did mm-hmm. this book review thing which is a review of a, of a more recent book in the field, which covered a, a new theory, which basically unifies the whole of neuroscience. And I was like, wow, um, that's the best bit of news I've heard in a, in a long time. Um, okay, so, so you like to go certain... more in depth than like the, the daily bits, mm. bits of uh, news and kind of reports that are, yeah, going around. Yeah, for sure. Unless there's like daily stuff that's important. Like if you're trying to work out, say, uh, should you get a COVID test, then you need to know, okay, how many mm-hmm. tests have been administered? Is that going up or down? Like, is there a shortage? 
uh, and also how many cases are, are about, you know, um, like you should mm -hmm. get tested if you're, if they're doing a hundred thousand tests and you're, you think that in a city of 5 million, you're in the 100,000 most likely to have it today, then you should go get tested. Um, and so for that, you kind of need the daily news, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. How, how interested are you in the political field? The whole yeah, uh, politics, I maybe it, uh, yeah. national politics, <laughs> global politics. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of fun sometimes, but, um, I, I'm kind of in a place where no one agrees with me politically. So there's not too much point me, me paying too much attention to it, you know, weird crossroads there. Cause I think we should like, okay, if we wanted to tax everybody 90% and put all the money into AI alignment and, uh, or, or, or other things that I think are important, I'd be all for that. Like, yeah, let's completely have the government dominate everything there and uh, have a monopoly on AI research and stop anyone doing private development of that because that's kind of dangerous. But but then on, on normal things, I'm like, oh man, the government's doing way too much. We should have way more, like private industries more effective. We should reduce, uh, like they make, uh, government makes up like 30% of the economy or something like that. That's too much for a single, for any single group to, to be doing. Um, so which puts me at a weird crossroads because I'm four, things on one side if it did if it was done this particular way and against them on some other side and also no one agrees with me in general on government stuff like if you if you if you have like political opinions and there is there isn't a party that supports them that makes it a lot easier to to stay out of politics bickering <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. and um kind of back to more like the business uh side of of things what do you think about capitalism like money capitalism mm -hmm. the, the current system that we have i think that when people say capitalism today they mean something different to what like when people say capitalism is bad they're not talking about the same thing that people are talking about when they say capitalism is good they're using the same word but it's it's got a completely different meaning um, so anytime I argue like, uh, or discussing with, uh, with someone about capitalism, which is rarer now, which I think is probably, probably good. Uh, I've learned to basically avoid saying the word capitalism, insist on actually saying what you mean rather than this like, socialism too. That means totally different things to people. To someone who thinks capitalism is good, capitalism means individual freedom. Uh, making sure that you don't have monopolies, including government regulation to stop big monopolies and make sure you have a functioning market where the government sets the playing field for a market so you don't have uh, issues like um, uh, the, the tragedy of the commons problems. The government sets the playing field there uh, and then that's its role to regulate a market and markets are very efficient. So that, that's great. And then socialism means having the government own all of that and do all of that itself. And if it could go very well while it's... At, at, while, while it's being run efficiently, but it's very uh, topply, you know, if, if you have someone bad getting get in control of that or just gradually, it, it, it doesn't have the ability to fail, so you get in trouble. But then people that say socialism is, socialism is good mean we should have the government set a playing field so that companies don't get monopolies and so that they can compete amongst each other and, <laughs> and not let a single big company own everything and then be supported by, by taxpayers and 
uh, done in a way where it's where it can't fail because then you have a big monopoly that uh, is. They mean the exact same thing, but they're using the opposite words for it. Mm. Um, it's just when someone that hates capitalism says they don't like, uh, like they don't like capitalism, they, they think of a company being supported by taxpayers and having a monopoly. And when someone says they don't like socialism, they think of the government being supported by taxpayers and having a monopoly on a particular service, in my experience. So okay. I think everyone just wants the world to be better and everyone wants individual freedom. And somehow they can't talk to each other about it because they've got different vocabularies. Mm. And you mentioned earlier that uh, you you haven't been happy when you were working just for money, when you had to work for money. Mm. Um, what's your What does money mean to you? I mean, at that time, I was just working to be able to like to be able to live, and then mm -hmm. put, a, put in whatever hours I could put into the more long term projects. Um, and now I'm at oh, someone's from work's calling me. I better call them back later. Um, now I'm at a stage where I get to work on what I was doing anyway, and still get enough money to live from it. Um, I like I make the Australian minimum wage now, and I have for the last year and a half since going full time at the at the company. Um, which is so much to live on. Like the Australian minimum wage is really high, mm -hmm. you know, especially notice that the last few months since I paid off all those credit cards I was talking about, um, like I was paying that off over the last year. And now suddenly instead of making an extra thousand dollars a month to pay to a credit card, I just like have an extra thousand dollars a month in my bank account. I've only got like $5,000 in my bank account, but it's adding up a thousand dollars a month. I'm like, what am I going to spend this money on? That's ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. It's a big disconnect because actually on paper, I, I actually have a lot of money on paper because we just raise money for the company, but it's not real money. I can't actually spend it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think money is, once you have enough to meet like some minimum threshold of being able to, to live, being able to go out and buy a drink and not like having to, to check your, your bank to make sure you can, you can buy a beer at a pub, then I don't like maybe it'll make a difference, but I haven't noticed any, any difference after that threshold. And that's a high mm -hmm. threshold. I've the rest of my life below that threshold, but now I'm above it. And it's like, great. I'm like, well, shit, why does anyone need more than, you know, $35,000 a year to live on? It's so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure, you know, if you had like um, a family, I live in the middle of nowhere, so it's probably more expensive in the city and stuff like that, you know, that for whatever area yeah. you're in and whatever people you're supporting there's some minimum threshold where above it doesn't seem to make a difference as far as normal life goes. Only as far as what can you, where would you put this money to use in the rest of the world? Yeah. Do you have a um, religious belief or spiritual beliefs? Um, I was raised as a Roman Catholic and then a very vivid memory when I was about 14, just sort of realizing, yeah, this probably isn't true. Um, after like a while of thinking about it and feeling bad, you know how when you have a belief and it's really like really core and you sort of know it's wrong, but you're not willing to admit it. And so you know, mm. you're like really uncomfortable for a long time. Um, and then when you let that go and you're like, yeah, actually I can see which way the, the winds of evidence are going. Um, and you just sort of let it go and then you feel great. And you're like, yeah, why would I be worried about going to hell for not believing in this thing? Because hell doesn't exist either. You're like, oh, shit, yeah, we're good there. Um, the most persuasive argument I've heard for there being some 
supernatural or uh, like godlike being is the simulation uh, argument from Nick Bostrom, uh, which you might know about. Mm, what's that? Can you exp explain it? it? It argues that uh, there are three possibilities. One is that it's just impossible to create a simulation, like a, a virtual world, like a video game, uh, that is as good as or, or near, near enough that the things, the beings inside the video game can't tell it's not real. Maybe that's just impossible. Uh, or two, maybe it just happens that no society ever gets to the stage where they're able to create a simulation like that and either plug themselves into it or create artificial intelligences inside that simulation. Maybe no society just never gets to that stage. They all die out beforehand. Or the third possibility is that it is possible and societies get to that stage, in which case there are a lot, there's only one base reality. So the... X number of simulations created by these societies, maybe millions, billions, trillions, and one base reality. Uh, and if the first two aren't true, then in those simulations, you wouldn't be able to tell if you're in the simulation or not. Which means that odds are, if you think the third option is the most likely, then odds are you're currently in a simulation. You're one of those artificial intelligences inside uh, a simulated like world inside a computer. In which case, there would be a god because it would be whoever is running the simulation outside of this universe. It's a very okay. persuasive argument. I don't know how much stock I've put into it, but it's the strongest <laughs> case for there being a god I've heard. <laughs> no religious people make that case, by the way. It's They always argue something different. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think um, is there about the spiritual stuff? Oh, I, I don't want to talk about it right now in this podcast because that would take a couple of... Uh, long minutes um but i'm very curious and i'm curious to uh, see if if spiritual beliefs connect to someone's um success and contribution and you know yeah if someone uh uses a business to have a positive impact on this planet is that linked to a spiritual belief you know let's say life purpose you can mm. you can see it in a way that you're seeing it like oh I feel like this is very important and I'm in a position to help there, so I'm gonna do that. Or you could come to the conclusion that you are a soul and this soul is sent to this reality to this life uh, with a purpose to help in that exact way. Um, you know, which might have a similar outcome of someone feeling very mm. motivated to do a certain thing and, and help humanity in some way but one one way is a maybe more rational way of seeing it arguing it um and the other way is a spiritual concept behind that um mm. yeah how yeah i suppose that makes sense next next uh, kind of topic is how do you see yourself what, what do you think about yourself your strength your your values Hmm. Um, well, I mean, when, when I was looking to start this uh, company, I basically did a list of things that I thought I would be good at or that I was uh, good at, uh, trying to work out where the competitive advantage could be. Like for me personally, sitting here having nothing to do with anything yet, you know, this is two years ago, 
trying to work out what I could do given my particular, uh, you know, makeup, my, my experience, knowledge, what I was born with, where I am in the world, uh, what resources I had available to me, just most of these, just by complete chance. Um, and then try to work out what I could do from that starting point, which would have the, the biggest positive impact, um, given my assumptions about, about AI or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're asking for the sort of assessment of, of, of myself, I think I'm like uh, above average in uh, like a lot of different areas that would help with starting a company but not okay. actually significantly great at, at anything, you know, like maybe a, a third or a half the people I know are like smarter than me. Some of them are way smarter than me and they're like super impressive people, but then they've got other flaws. Like they're ex extremely hesitant to take big risks um, or they're, mm. they're uh, easily sort of persuaded by, by people or they, they can't work at a single thing for a year without, you know, feeling really sad and not being able to continue at it like people have different different traits that they're that they're just sort of born with uh, or that they've developed through life i don't know um and i don't know it seemed to be fairly general uh in in that way yeah i don't really know like i'm definitely not not the smartest and i'm not okay. the best at, at talking and i'm not the best leader but i'm okay at all of those things you know <laughs> okay enough that the combination seems to be working all right yeah so you you thought about yourself and you came to the conclusion that the the skills or, or qualities that you have are um are allowing you to actually found a company and, and run a business yeah, it was more like what I what I chose to, to do was based off the self-assessment of here's what I think I'm good at, here's what I think I'm bad at. Um, yeah. Like if you were extremely intelligent, but uh, say not, didn't like, weren't comfortable taking risks uh, yeah. or weren't social in some way, you probably, you probably would be best off doing that research route that we were talking about earlier where mm -hmm. you're so smart mm -hmm. that if you took that role as a researcher, you would be a lot better than the second best choice. Um, uh, that would make complete sense for you to do that. Um, whereas I, it doesn't make sense for me because I wouldn't be much better than the other person. You know, even if I was the best choice for it, I wouldn't be much better than the second best. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about, like, how much of that, um, of those qualities, characteristics are fixed um, and how much of it can we change? You know, can we reinvent ourselves? Can someone who is maybe, you know, not a born entrepreneur become one mm. or go from one side of the spectrum to another? Or is, is that like, yeah, more or less uh, determined after our childhood? Or, mm. yeah, what do you think about that? I, I don't know. But I, I think that some of the important ones are a lot more fixed than we'd like to think. Like, I don't, I don't know how fixed any, any individual thing is, uh, but I think that because we would really like them not to be fixed, we would really like to be able to uh, change, like, some of these traits, like, say, ambition or intelligence mm -hmm. or um, how responsive you are to criticism in an effective way versus an ineffective way. Um, these things probably have some component that you can, you can change and improve. 
But because we really want there to be a large component that you have control over, I think that our guesses for it are likely, or the average person's guess for it, are likely uh, biased towards that side. Like I think they're more yeah. fixed than most people would think because they're, they're, they're probably hopeful, is my guess. Um, like I think intelligence is pretty fixed. Like if you give someone an IQ test at 15 and at 25 and 35, it doesn't change a lot. Um, other traits like conscientiousness, uh, I, d- I think it's harder to measure, but also likely is somewhat fixed. Like when I was a kid and I didn't really have, a, I wasn't worried about AI or anything yet, I'd still spend like 60 hours a week working on different projects and things. Um, and other people just didn't do that. Like my brother's smarter than me and he just doesn't work at all, you know. Like he works a little bit to, to survive, but beyond that is just quite happy to, to, to not work on his own projects and things. Um, mm. I think that's sort of an inbuilt mm. thing, you know. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? What would you? <laughs> Sorry, I'm asking um... each time. <laughs> repeating it with your answers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I can, I can um, summarize it in a, in a short answer. I think you may, had a really good point. Like it's it's hard to tell. Um, I do think it's even harder to come to any conclusion by measuring it because if you take someone you do an IQ test at 15 and at 25 um, maybe this person didn't want to become smarter and didn't work on it you know but if Mm. let's say there's some person I don't know doing brain exercises every day or meditating two hours every day like that's a very small percentage of of you know the population who actually does that Um, but yeah I the, the thought that it's uh, that we are not able to, to change something that is quite deeply um, ingrained into our personality or even habits or patterns um, is a little, a little sad to me. So I, I also, yeah. <laughs> I guess I am biased and I do want to believe. Um, mm. Yeah, but there are also examples of people going from like literally being super lazy, procrastinating, being maybe addicts to like really happy, fulfilled, high uh, achieving person mm. so yeah I guess with a lot of things if there is one person who can do it you know there can be enough to believe in yourself that you can do it even mm. though you know the statistics say but nine out of ten <laughs> are not mm. able to do it right like that the startup example is a good one nine out of ten startups fail it doesn't mean that yours can or that that you have a 10 percent chance to be successful because you are still in control on what you do, how many risks you take, the actions that you take, how well your execution is. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I mean, the, the answer there is really that you should try to, to improve and, and change in, in these ways, even if, because there's certainly some component of it that you have control over. Like you can make yourself dumber if you drink alcohol every day, uh, notwithstanding, um, or, uh, or, or, yeah, you have some control over making and putting yourself in a mood and a place where you feel like working more. So you might not be able to just motivate yourself to work harder, but you can make changes to your life that make it easier for you to, to work harder, bring it below the threshold of of, uh, of not working. Um, and that, yeah. that component of it might be like, I don't know, say if we, if we make up a number and say that the just by trying really hard internally, you might be able to make a 10% difference to each particular trait. Maybe, I don't know, I'm making that up. 
but maybe that could have a much larger than 10% impact on your actual life or on what you actually get done, you know, because mm-hmm. if that, if that extra 10% pushes you over some threshold, uh, it could, it could have a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even given that it, things are mostly fixed, or I think that things are mostly fixed, it doesn't mean that, that, oh shit, I guess everything's just determined. We shouldn't bother doing anything or trying to improve ourselves in any way. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely not. Yeah. What, what are your three to four highest values? What, what do you mean by, by values? Could be something like um, community, growth, success, freedom, love, um, mm. inte- like knowledge, wisdom. Yeah, it, it, it can be anything. Just things where you s- would say like those values are shaping my life in, in some way because I want to live in alignment with those, mm. those values. Um, I don't think I have a very good answer for you uh, here because I, I don't really think of things in, like, in that, that term. Like, like if, if I'm, like it, it depends a lot on the, the context where you'd be like, considering things like that. Like suppose you, you wanted to work out what to do First question is to, to, to sort of examine your your sense of what would you like the world to look like in X period of time um, and then be very sure that that is the direction you think it's going to go in. You've got to put in different things to make sure that you're not getting stuck on any particular thing that maybe you right now or in this particular mood thinks is the most important thing. Um, I'm tr- trying to come up with a very clear sort of... Uh, path that's able to be changed on the way to making the world better and then find a set of actions that leads you to that it doesn't to me it doesn't really involve words like uh like values or or like trying to like you maybe you want to maximize love you know like okay what what is you have to work out what love actually is um Mm -hmm. and maybe that's one of the things on the on the on the on the path to maximizing love is okay we got to actually work out what this thing means this vague sense that uh that i have And if you can get it more specific now, then great. If the first step is to try and make it more specific or to make yourself smarter by some sort of implant so that you can work it out better and take the next steps. Uh, or if you're hiring someone, do you have an... traits that are important for them, they're useful for work, but I don't really know what the answer is for what values do I care about. Yeah. Do, you, do, do you have a, um, an explanation for yourself what, what love is? Um, I think it's probably evolutionary. That doesn't mean it's not good uh, and not something that we should try to maximize. But I think it's that if you have a feeling of, of love for various things, like say your, mm-hmm. your partner uh, or your children or your friends, then it's because having that feeling led to your ancestors being more successful at, at reproducing. Like suppose you had a two two animals next to each other, like proto human things, um, and one had a strong sense of love for uh, for for his friends and his uh, children and and his partner, and the other didn't. Then the one with the strong sense of love, people would notice that, and then they would the like work together with with him to to make sure he went well, and he'd make sure that the other people went well, and they share genes as well, so it's they work well as a community versus the sociopaths who would not be able to support each other because they wouldn't have 
like a group of sociopaths could work out that, okay, it's better if we all in this prisoner's dilemma, if we all act uh, in the, in the cooperative way, but each individual sociopath is better off acting in a, in a, in a selfish way. So they all act in a selfish way and the whole group fails. Um, but the, uh, the feeling of love kind of acts like a third party in the prisoner's dilemma, enforcing the, the, the view that this is, this is good and lets you pass on uh, your genes better. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably what it's doing. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about group selection here. I'm talking about gene selection. Uh, it's not yeah. the group that's doing better. It's the genes that are spread across multiple members in that group that are passing themselves on. Uh, not that 60s idea of group selection, which is fairly well, fairly well debunked. Um, Gene, gene selection, showing why you would still love your children and love people in, a, in your small, close-knit community. Okay. And also misfirings of that love. If you, if you have a, a particular genetics that makes you have a sense of love, um, then sometimes, like lots of other things, it will kind of misfire and you might love that uh, uh, puppy that sort of appeared one day and was starving. It doesn't really help your genes to look after the puppy. But you've built this whole system in, like, your your genetics have built this whole system inside you which makes you care about things that are, are soft and helpless and cute um and then that sort of misfires and then you care about the puppy um that's the cause of it but it, it doesn't mean it's bad to care about the puppy i I, yeah. I was built by evolution which didn't care about that and it built me so that i do care about that for its particular goals but i've got my own particular goals which involve caring about the puppy you know so the fact that mm-hmm. it's explained by that doesn't make it any less valid. I totally care about the puppy. That's great. Uh, yeah. And if you can say, well, you only care about the puppy because of a misfiring of your love gene. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. I'm happy for my love gene to misfire and care about this puppy. I'm yeah. viewing that from the inside, you know? <laughs> cool. All right. Um, I think we covered uh, all the fields I wanted to cover Um if anyone wants to know more about your company and maybe yourself, if you're open to have people connect with you, where can they find you? Where can they find the company? Yeah, sure. So the company is Ripe Robotics. Uh, if you want to go and do anything businessy there, we've got our, web, our website at riperobotics.com. Um, and that's got our contact details for business things, which is just contact at riperobotics.com. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me personally, uh, I've got a, a, a Twitter, which is just Hunter J person. Uh, or they can email me at hunterjpersonal.com, uh, at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay. Happy for that to be Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for uh, your time here, for exploring all those different areas and sharing your perspectives. Yeah, thanks, Dan. That was good fun. <laughs>